0: And this is what is giving the birth to Web3. It is when large language models and your personal favorite AI assistant knows how to talk to a website and does not need to browse the website like a human, but you can just ask the question very directly, what can you offer me to value? What can you tell me about that subject? Oh, here's exactly what I have in my database. What we're seeing is the birth of Web3 before our very eyes. And there's three reasons why this is going to happen. The first reason is the economic reasons because the models cannot contain all the world's information and still be affordable. Number two, because the legal aspect, because brands and people want to own their unique content and data. And number three, because so many web pages would be overwhelming for people to consume and that all of it will basically be answered with websites evolving to having an AI interface, which is in the form of an API that lives on their website, that search engines can index, that other tools and other AI can work with and collaborate with to get information and actions in the real world.
1: Every SaaS company plays for high stakes, but what does it take to dominate the market right now? Welcome to Paris Talks Marketing the podcast where we dive deep into the latest trends and strategies in SaaS marketing that are really working today. I'm your host, Paris, and I'm excited to share with you some big news. We've recently rebranded, and our guests are SaaS CMOs, founders, and specialists, and we discuss one trendy topic in the industry per episode. Deep dive into the nitty gritty of what strategies really work in the SaaS industry. Tune in and start dominating your market today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. And today we're on the theme of AI, which is everyone's favorite subject now in marketing. And I have the pleasure of speaking with Alexander de Ritter today. Alexander is the co-founder, visionary, and chief technology officer at Inc., which is the world's first AI-powered content optimization software. Alexander crafts magical tools for web marketing. He is a smart, creative, and a builder of amazing things. He loves to study how and why humans and AI make decisions. He was also the co founder, visionary, and CTO at Edgy Labs LLC, a multimillion dollar marketing agency that serves many Fortune 500 companies with an incredible team of experts in SEO. Edgy was acquired by Compass in 2021. As a co-founder, Alexander, or as his team calls him ADR, Alexander de Ritter, has worn many hats. Project manager, subject matter expert, chief strategist, leader, chief technology officer. But most importantly, he remains the visionary and chief innovator. So with that,
0: Alexander, welcome to the show. Thank you for that introduction, Paris, And hi everyone that's watching. Yeah, we're live on
1: LinkedIn. I've got a nice audience. So let's let's kick it right off. There's so much I want to talk to you about. You are in I think at the epicenter right now of the what's hottest in marketing, which is generative AI and before ChatGPT dropped on the scene about half a year or so ago, there were tools like Ink and others like Jasper, and I know that, that you compete with that were very popular already for AI generated content. And now it seems like this is the golden age where things are starting to take off. Can you walk us through just where we are in this innovation cycle for AI generated content with generative AI?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So you can think about it in um, the, the impact order that things have, like the first impact that a tool like that has is you like, hey, it can write content for me. It can do faster content. But then there's secondary and tertiary effects to that. When everybody starts publishing content with the help of AI much faster, the internet bloats up, right? There's a lot more content. That means a lot more competition. It means it's a lot harder to get found online. And there's just so much to unpack here in terms of what it means for the internet. But we are essentially entering in 2023 right now, we are going to see the beginning of the actual web 3.0 and no, it has nothing to do with blockchain or any of that. We're talking about the interactive web and it's, it's basically beginning to happen before our eyes for those who have eyes to see it.
1: So how, how does web three, your vision of web three, how is that different than the common vision, which is based around NFTs and blockchain? coins.
0: I mean, just forget about all of that for a second. Imagine that didn't exist. My idea of Web3 and what it actually will look like is still going to happen. That's not to say that blockchain technology can't play a role inside Web3. It's just not going to have a leading violinist role or lead piano. It's Mm -hmm. just going to be one of the instruments in the choir that can contribute to Web3 in some way. But they say like you can't teach uh, an old dog new tricks and it's kind of like people, you know, Esperanto was like the idea of get everybody on the world in a common language. And they figured if we engineer a language and make it so good and so like easy for everyone to learn, we're going to have world peace because everybody's going to speak the same language. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the idea there. But in practice, that just doesn't work. And you can like invent a brand new Internet unless it's a thousand times better than the internet we have the reality is going to be something that's way more gradual than what is being proposed so mm-hmm. we're not talking about web 3 in terms of the crypto world and how they try to define it although i do not want to diminish it they have good ideas it is instead going to have to be something that happens gradually on that account now what we're really talking about is this this here so first of all we're going to talk about economy we're going to talk about legal And then we're going to talk about marketing and like bring this all home. There's like three core reasons why this is going to happen. The first one is economy. And we learned that a smaller model with less parameters, but specialized in one area of knowledge outperforms a similar sized model that has a lot of general knowledge allocated to its uh, neurons, right? And so the larger model is, the more expensive it is to run, the slower it is to run. Now you can potentially conceive at some point in the future, infinite compute power, infinite parameters, then yeah, you can imagine like some super smart general AI that literally knows everything about everything, but it still would be outperformed if knowledge was more distributed the way we have it on the web today in websites. I go to your website to learn something about your topic, another website to learn about another topic. Not one website is knows literally everything down to the minute or second what's happening, right? So for economic reasons, a general model like GPT, cannot infinitely keep growing its knowledge without basically becoming unmanageable in terms of costs. Google's BARD, when it first got released, was using Palm version 1. Now it's using Palm version 2. But the Palm version 1 was using their smallest model, maybe four, two, four billion parameters. I don't think they ever quite said it, but they said it was one of their smallest models. And we know they have like a two billion parameter model. Then there was another article that said that this technology, generative search, meant a 10x increase in costs for Google to serve mm-hmm. up search results. Now that is their smallest, itty-bitty, tiniest model. And then people mostly dismissed that Bard as not good enough, and so people kept using ChatGPT. So unless you have the, an answer to the economic question, you won't be able to scale and take on the world. So. We're about to see, we have the Chrome browser, we have the browser wars, and now we're going to have the AI assistant wars. Yeah. And so an AI assistant, people are impressed with it if it gives good quality answers, but also if it is affordable and fast. And so how do you make it affordable and fast without breaking the bank? And that's the economic theory of AI. And so the way that that's going to happen is by communication. Just like one human being goes to school to be a doctor and another goes to school to be a carpenter and the doctor does not pretend to be better at carpenting or the carpenter doesn't believe he's better than the doctor, right? There is value in specialization. Now, the way you have to see the web and Web3 is that every website is a specialist. And instead of me, the AI assistant knowing everything, I go and talk to the different specialists that have value to add that are up to date with their field and their area. So if I want to buy a brand new Toyota car, I'm going to go ask Toyota what are the deals and incentives, new models, features, because they're the authority on the topic. I'm not going to try and know every single thing up to the minute about every single topic. It's not economically feasible. And that brings me to the second reason. So the economic reason is why this has to happen. There is no other way to do this. And the second reason is the legal question, right? If I ask a question about Disney, well, if I start making up stuff, or hallucinating stuff, or I want to show pictures. I'm running in all kind of legal issues. My AI assistant can hallucinate, can be sued for defamation, can be sued for copyright infringement. How do you solve that? Well, you solve it when you give Disney the agency and ownership over their own topic. And when people ask Disney questions, you go and ask Disney, hey, what do you want to say to this user about this topic? Oh, How about this picture and this information? And then the AI assistant can answer that back and say, and this came from Disney. So you're basically avoiding the whole legal pitfall of who owns what online. And you're respecting individual content creators and businesses who own the data by talking to them and then crediting them and say, this answer came from Paris, who was the expert. Right. And so that's the second reason. When you think about it from a a content perspective, that's the third reason why this is happening. We are having websites right now that add hundreds of pages, thousands of pages, tens of thousands of pages on a topic. And the knowledge that is in there is often very thin, does not add to the knowledge that the general model already had. If you're not adding net new information, then in the new world of Web3, that's considered spam. Now, the Web2... As we're used to it right now, five years from now, we're going to look back at this moment in time. Maybe our kids are like middle schoolers now and they entered a workforce or something or university in five years. They're going to look back at this time. This is like back when we used the internet like that. When was it just a bunch of pages? It's going to look very prehistoric. I'll give you an example of how silly our web experience is today. Let's say I have an iPhone that's four years old. And a new iPhone is announced by Apple, let's just say, in September. And I want to know what is new. Now, I can, uh, I can go to the Apple website and we can see the specs of the new phone. But I'm not a walking dictionary. I don't know what the spec is of my camera, resolution on my screen, Retina Plus Plus 5000. I, I don't know all that stuff, right? I want to know what's new compared to my phone. So think about the user experience on the web right now and how, how silly it is. So I'm like, okay, I want to know what's new in this new phone. Okay, I go to maybe, maybe your favorite site for this stuff is The Verge. You go to The Verge. you would be like, okay, that's new in the new phone. All right, now open a new tab, go to search, and then you type your phone from four years ago plus review, and then you scroll through the page. You try to find an article that talks about the specs from four years ago. And then maybe on Windows, you use the Windows and arrow keys to put the two side by side. Maybe you open a notepad in the middle and then you start comparing the two articles and trying to find, oh, okay, this is talking about this here and here. And you start comparing the two. If I wanted to write an article about comparing the new phone to the four-year-old one, that's exactly what i do. i do research to write a good article and do fact research, right? But you know how silly it is and how what a waste of time it is to do this when all you wanted to know How's this new phone compared to my current one? That's all you wanted to know. But who has time to write articles on that topic? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Nobody writes comparison articles of phones four years apart.
1: Well, only if so, there's a lot of search demand, maybe that justifies ranking and getting SEO traffic from that.
0: Yeah. Which, which like gets mm-hmm. you into basically this Web3 is hyper-personalized, right? Mm-hmm. It's hyper-relevant hyper-personalized. So in the in the SEO world, all you do all day long is intent optimization. You try to give people exactly what they want, right? Mm-hmm. Give them perfect information, give them perfect user experience from technical and engagement point of view, and do it on a domain where you build trust, where the author knows what you're talking about, is an expert, and so forth. That's all you do. That's SEO, engagement and trust. That's like those two words sum up SEO, right? And so you can't deliver on such a random query, like compare these two phones, unless you go and create extreme amounts of content, which like flood the internet, right? When we think about our current experience, that's what we would be doing today if you wanted to have an article just like that. And that's completely silly. The time it wastes and human capital is just like really bad. So what does that experience look like in Web3? In Web3, my assistant of choice whether it be Siri, Alexa, Google Assistant, the Google search engine, Bing search, Samsung Bixby, whatever it is. My assistant knows how to talk to The Verge and ask it the questions. "Hey, can you tell me everything you know about iPhone from 4 years ago and then the current new iPhone what's new?" Sure. The Verge says, "Here you go." And then the AI assistant uses a large language model to use those two info sources and give you a just in time perfectly relevant perfect user experience. Now to unlock this, websites need to be able to have a middleware where AI models can talk to the website. The way the internet works today is a a bunch of web pages. Now imagine if an AI had to browse the site every single time somebody asked a question, then scrape the site, extract the text, index the text, make embeddings, and then make an answer. It would be very slow, right? Wouldn't work. So. I grew up in an old medieval town of Bruges, Belgium, and there's a lot of buildings still there from like the Middle Ages, very old, and I'm pretty tall, I'm like almost 6'4". And when I go to some of these homes, I have to like bend over. If I lived at that time, I'd be a giant. Yeah, Those doors were not made for me, right? So likewise, the Internet Web 2, as we know, is made for humans to browse it, but Web 3 will be made for not just humans, but will be made for AI assistants to interact with it. Mm-hmm. And this is what is giving the birth to Web3. It is when large language models and your personal favorite AI assistant knows how to talk to a website and does not need to browse the, the website like a human, but you can just ask the question very directly, what can you offer me to value? What can you tell me about that subject? Oh, I don't know. Great, I'll ask somebody else. Or here's exactly what I have in my database. Great. I'm going to ask four more and I'll compare it. And I'll give a, a comparison for Paris's uh, search query. So I'm going to pause here, just summarize. So there are, what we're seeing is the birth of Web3 before our very eyes. And there's three reasons why this is going to happen. The first reason is the economic reasons, because the models cannot contain all the world's information and still be affordable. Number two, because the legal aspect, because brands and people want to own their unique content and data. And number three, because so many web pages would be overwhelming for people to consume and that all of it will basically be answered with websites evolving to having an AI interface, which is in the form of an API that lives on their website, that search engines can index, that other tools and other AI can work with and collaborate with to get information and actions in the real world. This is when the Internet of Things Comes together with SaaS services, information services, and every website becomes like an always evolving skill in the matrix. And the AI can tap into millions of websites that each offer a function. And the world is going to be really, really cool. I'll sit in my sofa and I'll tell my imaginary Tesla, Are you charged yet? And so my assistant's going to ask the Tesla.com website who's authorized to talk to my car. Is the car charged yet? And it's going to answer back to my assistant and my assistant's going to say, "Yep, your car's ready." And I said, "Okay, okay, pull, pull it up out of the garage into the driveway." So, what does the AI assistant do? It goes back to Tesla to the plug or AI interface and say, "Hey, can you start the car pull it up?" Tesla's going to answer back because it talks to the car. It's going to say, "Well, I'd love to, but the garage is closed." And the AI assistant's going to be like, "Hmm, well, I happen to know the credentials of your garage door opener.com." I'm going to ask it to open the garage door. Garage door is going to answer back to your assistant. Yep, that's done now. And then the AI assistant is going to tell the Tesla, "Okay, now try to pull up." And the Tesla's going to be like, "Okay, I'm ready." And then all you hear is your car's ready. And all that internal dialogue is AI surfing the web, but not in the old way. It's in the new way. So what do you get in web3? You get generated web pages, hyper-personalized, perfectly delivering on your intent. You get incredible utility out of it, and the entire web becomes interactive and conversational. So I like to call it the interactive web.
1: Mm-hmm. Fascinating stuff. So if I understand correctly, Alexander, this would require a major transformational shift. So every website then with unique uh, set of skills or knowledge would need to develop this AI layer that can converse with the, the end user's personal AI assistant. So there actually are two layers, right? But, Today, there's there's nothing between us and these web pages today. But if we want answers to questions, we have to first we have to do a search, then we have to dive into those pages and dig out the answer. But in the future, we maybe, maybe we won't go directly to those pages via search. We're going to go to our personal AI assistant, which is probably not ChatGPT, but more of something that's for me personalized, and that's going to converse with an AI layer that's built on top of these web pages. So there's actually now two two layers of AI will be sitting between me, the user who needs answers, and those websites that contain the answers, those pages. Now, that's a beautiful thing to imagine. How can these websites make that transition? Because I don't know how many billions of websites are out there, but isn't that a major step uh, to build the AI? Yeah,
0: Yeah. So it used to be really hard to do authentication and then odd zero came along, right? And it used to be really hard to do. accept credit cards online and then Stripe came along. And it's going to be the same way with this here. There are going to be platforms as a service who will turn your website into a interface that AI can talk to seamlessly. And then there's going to be certain add-ons over time, like analytics integration, API integration that will be added over time. Actually, I'm working on such a project. If you're interested, there's a waitlist on Smith with a Y, smith.ai. You can join a waitlist there and be one of the first ones to find out. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you a little bit about how this transformation is going to come about. Like, when is the dam going to break for this? And why is this? A- why did I say that this is already in motion?
1: I'm joining your waitlist right now, Chat, by the me- way, on Smith. I'm in. Okay, can you help me up, by the way? Paris ad hoc online. <laughs> I'm sorry I interrupted you, please, Definitely.
0: Continue. Yeah. So I want to I want to this is a very important because I when I say stuff, I don't just say it like I make some guess and I say, let's just believe me, right? I told you everyone about Web3 and I give you three reasons why I believe this is going to happen. If somebody has an issue with my arguments, feel free to message me on LinkedIn or something, give me a counter argument. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty convinced at this point. And I'm all in myself and, and my businesses I'm working with. I'm all in on this. This is going to happen. For the next part, I'm going to give you the exact reasons as well why this is happening now. I'll tell you exactly what is happening now, what's happening, what's about to happen. It will happen at the end of this year, along with like things you can go and research for yourself. First of all, ChatGPT last week opened up plugin access to its premium users. ChatGPT Plus users now have access to plugins. Now, plugins They could have chosen to go with a closed garden approach like Apple for their app store, but they did something radical. And that decision is going to reverberate for years to come. That single decision that OpenAI made has huge consequences. I realized at the very moment that I read it, I couldn't believe it. I was really happy about it, but it is going to be the foundation that changes the web. And here it is. Unlike Apple, who wants you to submit the app and then Apple hosts the app, and manage the app and controls the app, OpenAI made the the decision that your plugin is owned by you, lives on your website with your own uh, SSL domain certificate. In other words, you own your own website, you'll own your own plugin. They could have done it differently. They chose to make it open like the internet, which has huge consequences. Wait, can I, can I stop I made, you for a second, yeah,
1: Alexander? Because I, I don't quite understand what, what a chat GPT plugin for a website will actually do. Is that the layer that okay. you're talking
0: about? Yeah. Yeah. So I've already worked on at least a dozen enterprise demos. And I can't give you the exact company names because we're talking to them about bringing them online in Web3. But let's just say National Pizza Chain. If I said the name, everybody would know it and you've probably ordered fruit from there in the last few months. Okay. People are pissed off all the time because they buy some pizza and then they didn't get the right coupon. Happens all the time. Okay. People don't find the right coupon or people don't know the nutritional information in the order they just placed. And then they have to go and look at tables and figure out what they just ordered, what the sum of carbohydrates is, for example, the ordering process. Okay. All of that can be done conversational from your sofa. And I can go on and on. Now, here's the feedback that I've been getting, and this is marvelous, absolutely marvelous. With the introduction of HTTPS, we lost the information to know what keyword people typed in Google before they found our page. We lost the user intent in our analytics. And all we know is like people did visit it and this is how long they stayed or bounce rates and stuff, but we don't know what they came for, Mm -hmm. right? With these new AI interfaces, the AI assistant, whatever the user is using, is going to be asking us what the user actually wants. So in every step of the customer journey, you know the exact thing users were asking for. So you can, the amount of information you have there to reduce cart abandonment and improve the customer journey experience is mind-boggling. It's a golden age for customers, for customer service, and for business processes. Right now, you're blind. In the very near future, in every step, you're going to be able to optimize for user delight in every step of the interaction and make your plugin and systems better and better with unbelievable insights. So the value for a website to get online is that, you know what, I'll tell you that it's going to become apparent if I go back and answer you the next step of the journey. So first, ChatGPT opens up plugins to all their plus subscribers and they can do amazing things already. I mean, I can have, speak an hour about what these plugins can do. Myself, I've created SEO.app, which is the first uh, SEO ChatGPT plugin. Mm-hmm. It works unbelievably good. If you have ChatGPT+, go and add SEO.app plugin. It's awesome. So i have got experience with creating plugins, putting in the store, going through the approval process. So I know what I'm talking about, but here's the cool thing. All right. Are you ready for it?
1: Yep. Now a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris talks marketing show is affiliated with hop online, a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at hop online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot, online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists
0: today. Now, back to the episode. Bing is bringing plugins to search this year. Okay. What's going to happen? Instead of sending people to a website, they're going to answer from the website via a plugin and keep people on the assistance or search engines homepage. This will change everything. I predict that in the next four years, 60% of web traffic will be converted into Web3 assistant traffic. Mm Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. If you're an SEO and your client lost 60% of their web traffic, you likely wouldn't keep your contract, right? Yeah. Unless you can swizzle that traffic over to Web3 engagement. You can sell more. You can get more brand exposure, but you'll have to be ready to play in the sandbox of the new search engine. So the reason why, really clearly, the reason why this will happen is because I know that Microsoft has already been reaching out to plugin makers about trialing and putting their plugins into the Bing search engine. Also, Bing has come out and said it was on their roadmap, but more than that, I actually know the email of the people at Microsoft who are emailing people to invite them to partake in their testing right now. So search engines have a job of indexing the world's information and making it universally accessible. Well, I just described an AI assistant to you and websites are not conversational with AI. They'll have to become. And once search engines start rewarding companies who are there, if you're the pizza company who is not available in it, you might lose 60% of your web traffic because, believe me, these search engines are going to have amazing monetization models around it. Two of them I will share with you really quickly. I'm happy to answer any questions that people have about this later. Two of those monetization strategies are, if I can book a hotel from any of 10 providers, two or three of those, might be sponsored and people are going to pay money to be sponsored because if a person does not have the ability to interact with a booking website, they're going to lose their money. They're not going to be able to book, right? And then the second layer is, I would say, in-assistant transactions. Now, if you, you already see this in uh, China and WeChat, that your chat program is also a financial program. You see it in Elon Musk's vision of the X application, the everything app, mm-hmm. where you do your communication but you also do financial transactions remember he is ex-paypal never forget that yeah right he knows a lot about finance so this is coming so here's how it would work if i book a hotel and let's say i'm in google and google is talking to a booking website and i'm ready to buy i could disrupt the experience and people who are just using voice, I can tell them now open your phone and click on this link to complete the transaction, but your card abandonment or, or is gonna to be too high. You wanna close people in the moment, right? Conversion optimization. So search engines are going to offer Google Pay checkout, Amazon card checkout, Apple account checkout with a the card they already have on file. And so these assistants are going to facilitate e-commerce and just like Stripe charges a transaction fee, they're going to charge merchant merchants a transaction fee for transactions that they authorize a search engine to complete on their behalf via their AI interface or plugin. And so search engines are going to make so, so much money in this new paradigm. let
1: me make sure that I understand this. A user in this experience can convert on my website without ever visiting my website, right?
0: Exactly. Okay.
1: So I'm selling vacation tour packages and with an AI assistant that can converse with my customer's AI assistant. I can sell them and close that deal and and actually book revenue without them ever even visiting my website, right?
0: That's right. So my website only
1: exists now to feed the AI with the information it needs to bring me customers, but I'm not trying to bring anyone to my website anymore. I don't need to worry about the design or the UX or the conversion optimization, really, do I? If all of my traffic leans and goes to the... Well, yes and no.
0: Yeah, yes and no. So in the vision that I just described... You're correct. And it's a huge freedom. Like I've discovered this with SEO.app, not having to design user interfaces and obsess about every like just offering the service that I'm good at, which is content, uh, helping content get reach and engagement. If I just focus on my core competency, it's so freeing. But just like TV didn't kill radio, right? Yeah. Radio evolved into podcasts and still radio. Likewise, Web 3.0 is not going to kill off Web 2.0 completely. It's just going to evolve Web 2.0. How? Dynamic server-side generation. Just like an AI assistant from your customer can use a large language model to interface with your site, with your plugin, well, so can your own large language model interface with your AI plugin and dynamically generate a page that is perfect for the user and the AI makes the design in your template and the AI writes the content and and pulls the images from your database and makes a page for your question about what's new in in, in the iPhone, Mm -hmm. right? Going back to the original example. Mm -hmm. So if people want to have a user experience by visiting a web page physically, right? Web 2 also is going to evolve. And the way to think about it is in Web 3, there are two, there's really one internet. There's the AI plugin, and then that is designed for other AIs to browse your site. And then there's the regular web page which is designed for humans to interface with your website, which is going to be a mix of static, dynamic, and generated pages. Mm-hmm. The latter being added to your website as a better customer experience because you can bring the same experience people have with better engagement yeah. in outside assistance you can bring that inside your own website yeah I imagine, i've already uh, seen a few examples of that
1: i can imagine an infinite faq section <laughs> because if it's all ai generated i don't have to write my top 10 faqs anymore. oh yeah. it could be infinite as a maybe that's a
0: You'll still feed it your proprietary info. Mm -hmm. You'll feed your plugin the information, the raw information that only you have, right? Mm -hmm. And then people go to an FAQ, but unless, unlike now, they no longer have to hit the search button. They no longer have to browse through irrelevant FAQs. They no longer have to click collapse and close. They're just going to have a conversation with you. A great example is a gift card provider. And you just bought a gift card and you want to know, can I redeem this gift card at an ATM, right? What is your policy? Your policy is not necessarily what other vendors' policy is. So I just want to ask you the question. I want to get an answer. Imagine how bad Web2 is. Can Can you see it already? Like how bad the current web is compared to what it will become? I can just ask a question and it's just like, oh yeah, no, this is totally not supported, but here's why. And yeah, so I can go on and on about why this is happening, but the fact that Bing is already Working to integrate plugins and the fact that Google's literal job description, their mission statement, is to index the world's information and make it universally accessible. It is the very definition of search engines. I'm going to add something just in case SEOs are watching me or watching this presentation. You don't have to worry about SEO is not going to go away. See, search engines have to choose which plugin or website they're going to talk to. Not all plugins are equal. So there is an optimization strategy for how you can make your plugin rank number one for the AI system to choose to interact with. Remember, if you're selling hotel rooms, but the AI systems don't choose to talk to your plugin, you're not going to sell any hotel rooms. So it's very important. Companies invest in SEO in that world, isn't it?
1: But S- so you have to position yourself to be chosen as the plugin. To serve up the answer. Is yeah. it is it all or nothing? Then? Yeah. Either you are going to be chosen or you won't. It's in, like in, position in, uh, one or nowhere.
0: Well, in uh, voice conversations, it, it will be all or nothing. Yeah. When, when their screen is involved, like your mobile phone or your home assistant with a screen or your computer, there's room for additional ones. A great example for this is, let's say I'm going car shopping and I want the assistant to compare the top four websites for this precise model and tell me where I can get the best deal. So in this case, Google search will talk to more than one website at once and will provide the output and comparative table, and I can choose which one I purchase from. Another really great use case is where more than one is valid, is that in a single search query, I may ask about like a political position or a law, and maybe I can ask Google to give me viewpoints from both sides of the aisle and tell me what the different arguments are, pro and con, and summarize it for me. And it can read and talk to multiple sites and include backlinks to those sites for if I want to drill deeper into it. And then also when I'm on a screen, if I want to book a hotel, I don't necessarily want to book it from Kayak. Maybe I have a booking.com loyalty membership and I want to buy it from there. So Google is going to return multiple websites that I can choose to interact with and interact with websites that I trust, where I trust the brand, where I have programs and engagement that I love. It's going to be, the answer is both, right? In some cases, the best one is gonna get more than in the past. Mm -hmm. But if you're really honest about it and you look at the Google top 10 page, the first result on organic search already gets a crazy majority of the traffic already. So it's not really different, right? It's just an evolution of that same principle yeah. you have to be the best and that's why you need an seo company to help I think, you i think also we've been experiencing
1: three. this for the last few years anyway a segue to this which is the google's instant answers particularly on mobile i um the zero the so-called zero click searches are have been getting more and more share because for certain queries google knows they just need an answer they don't need to navigate 10 blue links and the best experience is to provide them answer and related questions like people also ask. And I observe my own experience now that less and less clicking away from Google. I'll start with a topic. I'll get an instant answer that's going to lead me to be a little bit curious about other things. And then I go down to the people also ask and I keep and I drill deeper. And usually I don't visit any website because the answer lives in a long article anyway. And I don't want to hunt for the answer in the article. Google services it. So I think to to an extent, this assistant has already been there with instant answers. This is probably going to be the next iteration of it.
0: Yeah, and so not many companies have the resources Google does to go and read all those pages, extract snippets of answers for things that people might ask and pre-index them and cache them on Google's side. Mm-hmm. But with this new world, everyone can build a Google search competitor. You need a large language model and ability to talk to different websites. Mm-hmm. And there you go. You can get perfect answers every time. This is why you hear press releases about Amazon and Apple integrating large language models in their next versions of their assistants, because they know how big the opportunity is.
1: Yeah. And do you think that the personal assistants will still be uh, Google, Bing, and maybe ChatGPT? Are these going to be the the new browser war? Is it going to be now the new Web3 war between who's going to be my personal assistant, not my favorite search engine? And will that mean that it's not going to be a a world where Google has a 95% market share of search
0: yeah, I, I think that typically when an industry like breaks open like that, in the beginning it looks more like 20% market share here, 30% market share there, 15% market share there, and it looks like pretty even, evenly distributed. But then over time, some people start pulling ahead and offer a superior experience, mm-hmm. and they start getting more and more users. So I think that's kind of what it, it's like. Uh, somebody went into the Google office and dropped them a, metaphorical bomb blows the market wide open. They're in code red mode, like trying to salvage and trying to leverage. But I think in the first stage, they're going to have really big competition from people we don't typically associate with search engines, but are search engines like Alexa and and Siri. They're going to grab way more. And then here's the thing about who's going to win. It's hard to predict, right? Crystal ball. We can see trends, but we don't know what's going on behind closed door, what they're all individually working on. But it comes usually down to moat and user experience. And the moat in this case for these assistants is the data they have on you because search and assistant experiences can be way more personalized. So why is Google in a good position not to screw this up? Because they already have Google Calendar integrated. They already know what your day looks like. They already have half the phones in the world running Android, so they already know where you are. They already know where you shop, what your preferences are in the real world. And then they have a ton of data about your Gmail and a ton of data about your web searching history that they can personalize around. I know there's regulations and so forth, but companies are more than willing to use leverage of their moat when they need to get market share and break some rules. We also have the rise of AI workers and AI coworkers, so... It'll be very normal. Like with COVID, we saw remote working and we saw more blended global teams, right? Mm-hmm. But in the next five years, those blended global teams will include AI colleagues that can read their email and join meetings and have have like a video embodiment. They can talk, their mouths move when they're talking. They, they have memory of your conversations and they're experts at what they do. Yeah, that's all happening in the next few years. I mean, this is an un- unbelievable time.
1: Yeah, exciting new stuff. Well, boy, I wish we we could go on forever with with this vision of the future. It's really exciting. And I think as marketers, there will always be a role for us. We're going to be using different technologies. The user experience and user interfaces will be different. Yeah. But I think still rising above, getting to the top of the conversation, leading the conversation, authority and trust is still going to be essential.
0: Yeah. So at our enterprise agency, EduLab's, You know, we're already developing the SEO techniques for Web3. We're already pioneering those. Mm -hmm. At smith.ai, we're looking at the infrastructure it will take to get the web online with Web3. I think by the end of the year, everybody will be like, I need a plugin. I need, (laughs) it's like, my website is losing traffic. I need the plugins. How do I get in the new search engine? I mean, it's going to be huge by the end of this year. And um, yeah, and then SEO.app, we're eating our own dog food, as they say. Mm-hmm. like we're practicing what we preach so try it out if you have GPT plus and uh, I do yeah I also signed up for that like. beta as well on uh, the SEO awesome. app
1: yeah hopefully we can get our hands on that soon you can use it tried- today
0: if you have if you sign up for chat gpt plus you can use it today they they just opened access to everyone so our site's going to be switching over to from join the waitlist to go ahead and play with it.
1: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Yeah, it is something to behold. I've got this really cool demo where I tell it to browse a few web pages and learn everything there is to know about it. Then write an SEO optimized article on that topic with my angle in a different language and hyper optimize for a certain uh, localized geography. Yeah. And then after that, it posts it automatically to my WordPress blog.
1: Oh, that's so cool.
0: So I'm just the director, I'm the conductor. And it's like it's just like, I say like the first uh, crop of plugins, some of them are really cool. Some of them are like gizmos, but I can already see unbelievable stuff happening. Like right now we're using like a buffer to schedule social media content and we might buy another product to help me write tweets or something. Now with the plugins, you can like tie that whole workflow together in one interface. It's like, hey, assistant, write me a content calendar. Hey, SEO.app, do some research. Hey, link crawler plugin, read some stuff from this YouTube video and analyze some good facts that you can turn into Twitter threads. And then, hey, Twitter, post this on my uh, content calendar as as threads. And and, and it all happens like one command and then AI just talks to all these different plugins for you Mm -hmm. and just gets the job done.
1: Yeah, well, this has been fascinating. ADR, love to have you back on so we can continue. Unfortunately, we're out of time and I have to wrap this up. But is there is there anything that I didn't ask you that you that you wish I would have asked, or anything, any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with?
0: I'd say be very curious about the things I talked about today. If you're a marketer, because it's going to change how you do marketing this year and the web has not changed this much since 2003 2004 mm. this is a like a half a generational landslide is going to define the future of marketing so yes yeah, stay in touch you can find me on linkedin on twitter you know we have an seo.app a facebook group as well we're going to be talking about this join the waitlist if you want but I'll, I'll be sharing more about how to optimize into this new ecosystem in the in the coming months and yeah hey great to uh, be here Paris thank you for inviting me mm-hmm. great well ADR right. it's been
1: a real pleasure uh, we've had a pretty good audience on the live stream and wish we could go on much longer but I definitely plan to have you back and can't wait to get accepted from those wait lists and, and start playing around with some of these products and, and plugins It's a, it's been a fascinating sure. vision of the future that you presented today thanks for sharing that bye alright take care another great episode in the books hope you enjoyed it if you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop.hop.online. Have a great day.